Hello and welcome to Foxed, the practical podcast series from Fox & Partners. In these podcasts, we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening. I'm Eleanor Diamond, an associate at Fox & Partners. Welcome to this edition of Foxed. I'm joined by my colleague, Dean Fuller, a partner at the firm specialising in partnership law. Hi, Dean, and thanks for joining the podcast series. Thanks for the introduction, Eleanor. Happy to be here. In this episode, we are taking a break from our more practical focus sessions to tackle a technical and lesser utilised potential avenue of redress for a member of an LLP who is aggrieved by the actions of another member or members. We will be focusing on the ability, in limited circumstances, for a claim to be brought by a minority member on behalf of the LLP against a majority member or number of members. In the circumstances where this remedy is likely to be available, a majority member is often an insider involved in the leadership of the LLP who may have engaged in wrongdoing but is protected by virtue of their status as part of the majority. Where a minority member or group of members are able to bring a claim on behalf of the firm using the LLP's funds with the permission of the court to recover sums diverted as part of the majority member's wrongdoing, this is called a derivative action. It's not difficult to see the potential attraction of such an action from a minority member's perspective if the member is able to use the LLP's money to fund their claim. We will discuss a number of recent cases which are of particular importance when considering derivative actions in the LLP context. For those listening to the podcast, the citations for the cases to which we refer will appear on our website. Dean, perhaps our starting point is to touch on and briefly outline the typical role of an LLP. The LLP is designed as a business vehicle for professional or trading partnerships. It enables partners, or rather more accurately members, to limit their liability for the partnership's debts and obligations. The LLP is a statutory hybrid, part company, part partnership. Although it is treated as a partnership, it is subject to accounting and other rules closer to those of a company. The LLP was introduced in response to concerns by professional practitioners about their possible exposure to massive claims for damages arising from the alleged negligence of one or more of their partners. The LLP is a legal entity separate from its members. A person is free to join an LLP on whatever terms they agree, usually formulated in a member's agreement. The member is typically bound by such an agreement, And if majority rule is provided for, then the minority is bound by the wishes of the majority. A helpful outline of the law of LLPs can be found in the judgment of Mr Justice Henderson in the case of Flanagan and Lion Trust at paragraphs 53 to 59. Before we get into how a derivative action may arise, what legal remedies are available to a minority member if the actions of the majority have led to the member or the LLP suffering loss? The minority member's first port of call is the LLP Members Agreement to see if he or she has a contractual remedy? Is the conduct complained of contrary to the Members Agreement? What if any remedy is provided? Does the Members Agreement provide for a dispute resolution mechanism, such as mediation followed by arbitration? A problem for a minority member is that most LLP membership agreements stipulate that the unfair prejudice remedy in Section 994 of the Companies Act 2006 is excluded by the unanimous agreement of the members for such periods may be agreed. An aggrieved member could consider petitioning the court to wind up the LLP on just and equitable grounds under section 122 g of the Insolvency Act 1986, but this is a draconian remedy and the court is not obliged to make a winding up order. A further potential problem for a minority member 
is that his or her loss may be indirect or what is termed as reflective. Interesting. So what is the principle of reflective loss, Len? In essence, a member of an LLP cannot recover damages merely because the LLP, in which he or she is involved, has suffered damage because of the actions of the majority members. Only the LLP has standing to pursue a claim for losses that it suffered. This is known as the rule in Foss and Harbottle, which was the 19th century case that established this principle for companies. It can be problematic as the wrongs committed against the LLP by the majority members are unlikely to reach court as they are in control and will not allow the LLP to litigate. Hmm. So what remedy may be available to a minority member in a situation like that? Derivative claims were originally developed by the common law as an exception to the rule in Foss and Harbottle. A derivative claim is a claim brought or continued by a shareholder on behalf of the company in relation to a breach of duty by a director. The claim is brought for the benefit of the company. To pursue a derivative claim in a case where the controlling members are precluded from ratifying the relevant breach by exercise of their majority votes, it is necessary to fall within the fraud on the minority exception which prevents shareholders, and by analogy members, from improperly benefiting themselves at the expense of the company or LLP. We've been talking about companies, but it's important to say at this point that LLPs under English law are not subject to the same provisions concerning the relationship between a company, its shareholders and its directors. When it comes to derivative claims, sections 260 to 264 of the Companies Act 2006 now provide a statutory regime for claims pursued by shareholders of a wronged company. But these provisions, and in particular section 263, do not apply to LLPs and the old common law rules continue to apply. So in essence, there has to be a fraud on the minority and no other remedy for a common law derivative claim to succeed in the LLP context? Yes. This point is illustrated in the leading case of Harrison Microfusion, in which Mr Harris, a member of Microfusion LLP, who had the support of 25 individual members, alleged that the LLP was entitled to damages or compensation from the designated members, who were collectively referred to as Future Films, of more than £5 million. Mr Harris alleged that Future Films had made improper payments from Microfusion LLP to a third party for administrative services, and have made rebate payments and payments for marketing services to other companies for no real commercial reason. The relevant clauses in the LLP Members Agreement of Microfusion provided that all matters relating to the management and conduct of the affairs of the partnership shall be decided by a member majority, and the term member majority was defined as the prior written consent of the designated members and those investors who hold more than 75% of total investments. Accordingly, any decision to bring or conduct litigation on behalf of Microfusion was subject to the veto of future films as the designated members. The Court of Appeal ruled, with Lord Justice McCoon giving the only judgment with which Lords Justice Clark and Jackson agreed, that the claims of Mr Harris did not properly fall within the relevant exception to the rule in Foss and Harbottle. Lord Justice McCoon said at paragraph 31 of the judgment, I consider that the extent of the relevant exception to the rule is, as stated by Judge David Richards in Aburia. In the case of Aburia and Sigmund, Judge David Richards said as follows, It is therefore the case that all the authorities on direct derivative actions have taken as a requirement that the alleged wrongdoing should result in a loss to the company and, hence, an indirect or reflective loss to the shareholders and, also, 
that the alleged wrongdoers should have personally gained from their breaches of duty. So the fraud on the minority exception applies to cases of actual fraud, i.e. deliberate and dishonest breaches of duty, or in the absence of actual fraud, the alleged wrongdoing must have resulted in loss to the LLP and personal gain by the wrongdoers. In this case, there were no allegations of deliberate or dishonest breaches of duty by future films, and the exception to the rule in Foss and Harbottle was not satisfied. So it would appear that whilst a common law derivative claim could be a powerful tool at the disposal of a minority member, the circumstances in which such a claim is successful are likely to be exceptional. Yes. The decision in Microfusion illustrates the importance of falling within the relevant exception to the rule in Foss and Harbottle and of getting your pleadings correct, especially when referring to fraud. This is also illustrated in the more recent case of Holmes for England and Nick Selman Holdings Limited in which the claimant complained that the first defendant had deliberately caused the LLP, of which the parties were both equal members, to incur additional charges under a loan amounting to over £206,000, meaning that the LLP could not repay a loan to the claimant. Unfortunately for the claimant, whilst the act complained of had caused the members of the LLP to suffer loss, no fraud had been pleaded, and the pleadings fell short of an allegation of personal benefit to the first defendant. Is there any tactical advantage then to be gained by a minority member in threatening to bring a common law derivative claim against the majority members on behalf of the LLP of which he or she is a member, given the difficulties you've highlighted? Yes, there is. A key point, as mentioned at the outset of our conversation, is that the minority member may be able to use the LLP's money to fund their claim. However, there are a number of hurdles to get over. Regard should be had to the procedure set out in Rule 19.9 of the Civil Procedure Rules and Practice Direction 19C, which sets out the procedure for bringing derivative claims by body corporates, which includes LLPs. The procedure for seeking the court's permission to bring a derivative claim applies in the LLP context, but, as was made clear in the Holmes for England case, the applicable test is that at common law and not under Section 263 of the Companies Act 2006. That is, the claimant would have to find one of the four exceptions to the rule in Foss and Harbottle, usually the fourth exception being a fraud on the minority. If the application is not dismissed, the court will order that the LLP must be made an additional respondent to the original application. Thereafter, where the court gives permission to continue the claim, it may order that the claim is not discontinued, settled or compromised without its permission. Importantly, the court may also order the LLP to indemnify the claimant against liability for costs incurred in the permission application and or in the derivative claim itself. A key point is the threat of using the LLP's money to fund the claimant's litigation and reminding your opponent of this point could pay dividends. Thank you. And on the practical side, our tips would be to ensure the agreement is clear as to the basis on which decisions should be made at the outset and that appropriate checks are put in place. Given, as we've heard during this episode, derivative actions can be a useful weapon in a partner's arsenal where the facts fit, partners should be considering this at an early stage. Thank you, Dean, for your illuminating summary of this complex area of law. And thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed. We look forward to you joining us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe or find out more details on our website at foxlawyers.com.